Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. All right, so here's what I want to do today. I want to pick up on a theme that I introduced to you last Sunday. The idea that we are slaves to sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Every single person born into this world, except Jesus, of course, is born as a slave to sin. What that means is that we are born under the authority of sin and under the power of sin. So we serve sin as a master and we are powerless to do anything about it. Now, there's two objections to this idea. I mentioned one of them on Sunday, um, and it's this. I just don't feel like a slave. Paul, you make it sound like I'm under the burden of this terrible slave master called sin, and my life is miserable as a result. And I have to admit, I just don't feel that way. Fair enough. I'm going to address that in a minute. The other objection is that it offends our sensibilities about fairness and freedom. It sounds like God blames us for something that we have no control over. I mean, if I'm a slave and I can't help it, how can God hold me responsible for my sins? I mean, it seems kind of unfair. And people would say, I can't believe in a God that judges me for something I can't control. Well, just so you know, I can't either. And thankfully, the Bible doesn't teach that. What I want to do is try to unravel what this teaching means, that we're slaves to sin. And I'm going to use some verses from Romans 6 to do it. And I encourage you to read that whole chapter sometime uh, to really wrap your head around it. In this passage, Paul uses this metaphor of slavery to compare life before you become a Christian to life after you become a Christian. And he says that before you're a Christian... You're a slave to sin. He says this over and over in the chapter. Part of our problem in understanding what that means is that we have a very different understanding uh, understanding of slavery than Paul does. We're modern people. And our view of slavery is pretty much limited, really, to the chattel slavery of the 17th to 19th centuries. That's when African Americans were captured in Africa. They were taken on ships against their will to a lifetime of slavery. Their their entire lives, they were owned by their masters and every aspect of their lives was controlled by their masters and their slavery occurred entirely against their will. But the truth is not all slavery was like that and certainly not the slavery that was prevalent during the Roman period of Paul's time. Of course, slavery was not as good as being free, generally, but it was also not like the black African slavery that we're familiar with. There were a number of key differences. For example, during Paul's time, very often, you couldn't tell slaves apart from so-called free people in public, for example, in the marketplace because they traveled around freely doing tasks for their masters. And sometimes they were experts in their households, kind of like Joseph was in Potiphar's house. They would manage the household. They would run the business. They tutored the children, even raised the children, all kinds of important tasks that made them very valuable to their masters. 
Now there's other stuff too. But one more fact for our purposes is important and relevant. Often, quite often in fact, slavery was freely chosen. I know that may sound strange, but for a period of time, people could enslave themselves to a master to improve their lives. Maybe they had a tragedy that put them in serious financial straits and they needed to, the safety of slavery to survive economically. Um, maybe they had a conflict and had to flee their village for their own safety and find sanctuary in a nobleman's home. Whatever the case, people often sold themselves into slavery. They chose it. And this is the aspect of slavery that Paul emphasizes in Romans 6. In verse 16, he says, You offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, so you are slaves to the one you obey. In verse 19, he says, You used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity. Notice that he uses the words, You offer. You gave yourself to sin as a slave. Paul says... People become slaves to sin because they want to be. They want to sin. They desire sin. So they offer themselves to it and become slaves. Now, you might be thinking, who in their right mind would willingly choose sin? And it's a good point. Um, choosing sin is insanity. But it does make sense if you understand what you're doing when you offer yourself to sin. One way of defining sin is this, loving something more than you love God. When you build your life, your identity on something, when you look to something for joy, for security, for a sense of worth, that thing is your God. And you are loving that thing. You're worshiping that thing. And everybody has to build their life on something. Bob Dylan used to sing, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, when you make something other than God the object of your devotion, you sin. That's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. When you define sin that way, it makes sense that people would choose sin. We're hardwired to worship, to to seek our identity in something, to look to something to give us ultimate meaning. So the answer to the question, who would willingly choose sin, is everybody. <laughs> Adam and Eve did this in the garden. Satan made them believe a lie. They trusted a lie above the true God. They convinced themselves that God didn't really love them, didn't really have their best interests in mind. And so they chose to worship something else, namely themselves. And ever since then, every human being has willingly done the same thing. How can God hold us responsible for our sin? Because we choose it. That's why we're not coerced into it. We're not slaves like the black slaves during the 16, 17, 1800s. They had no choice, but we do, and we choose sin. And we choose it because it's our nature to want to. It's the way we are. By nature, we want sin. Remember the definition of sin we're working with, worshiping other things, ultimately our own desires rather than our creator. So we choose as our hearts desire. We get what we want. 
we get what we prefer. And therefore, when we sin, as slaves to sin, we're not violating our will. We're acting in accordance with it. We're doing what we want to do. Let me illustrate this this way. Imagine I put a bowl of your favorite ice cream in front of you and I say, eat it. And you do. No problem. Why? Because you love it. It's your favorite. Now imagine that I give you a bowl of pig guts covered in excrement and I say, eat it. You can't. Not because you can't do it, but because you can't want it. You can't want to do it. No matter how many times I offer that bowl to you, you will reject it over and over and over again because you can't want it. But get this. You are deciding as your heart desires. You're choosing according to your heart's desire. You're sitting there thinking, man, you're not sitting there, sorry. You're not sitting there thinking, man, I really wish I wanted this bowl of pig guts and poop, but I just can't make myself want it. No, you're repulsed by it because it's not your nature to want it. You put a zebra and a leopard in a cage together with 50 pounds of meat hanging from a hook and what happens? The zebra eats the grass all around and the leopard eats the meat. Maybe even the zebra. Why? It's their nature to do so. One's a herbivore, one's a carnivore. The leopard is not complaining that it doesn't like the grass. <laughs> now, paint the zebra to look like a leopard. Still won't eat the meat, though, will it? Because its nature has not changed. That's what we need. A change in nature. A new heart. A new desire. And in this passage... Paul says you get that when you're converted. He talks about how when you believe in Jesus, what actually happened to him spiritually, or sorry, what actually happened to him spiritually happens to you. Let me say that again. He talks about how when you believe in Jesus, what actually happened to him spiritually happens to you. So when Jesus died on the cross, he says in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And you say, well, when did I die? Well, you died spiritually through the death of Jesus Christ when you put your trust in him. And you're no longer a slave to sin because you died to sin with Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Because Jesus was raised from the dead too. And so were we. In verse 11, Paul says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in being raised, we have a new nature, which means we have new desires that go with that new nature. In verse 17, he says, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. In other words, our desires are changed. We no longer want to serve sin, our old master. We want to serve God, our new master. That's why in verse 22, Paul calls us slaves to God. Remember, we are hardwired to serve somebody. We have to worship. It's in us to do it. But when you come to faith in Christ, 
the new master you serve and desire to serve is God. And when you become slaves to God, you do as your new nature dictates. You begin to obey. You're not coerced to obey God the way black African slaves were forced to serve their white masters in the past. It's our desire. It's our preference. It's what we want. Our nature isn't violated. In fact, our nature is honored. Now, one last thing. You might think, okay, I think I get what you're saying, but here's my problem. I actually still feel like a slave to sin. I believe in Jesus Christ. I do. I trust him for my salvation, but I still feel like a slave to sin. There's, there's stuff I'm doing that I can't seem to overcome. It's been going on for years. I haven't really made much progress on it. What is up with that? Well, the first thing to say in response to that is, I just want to remind, yourself, remind you of what John Newton once wrote. He wrote this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that quote. Because it acknowledges the truth and offers hope. You're not what you ought to be. That's true. Or even what you want to be. But what you are is a product of God's grace. In other words, the fact that you even care about sin is a sign that God is working in you. And so take heart. You are unfinished. You are a work in progress. And sometimes that progress seems terribly, terribly slow, but it's still progress. And then the second thing is this. You have to worship you have to sense the greatness of God. Sometimes be so moved even to tears, moved to laughter by who and what God is and what he's done for you. And this has to happen all the time, over and over and over again. Because as the new master reveals himself to you more and more, the old master becomes less and less powerful in your life. B.F. Westcott was a theologian in the 1800s and he said, we have been set free from the penalty sin of sin, but we're being set free from the power of sin, and we will be set free from the presence of sin. Two quick suggestions. First of all, I encourage you to check out the Daily Liturgy podcast. It's something I've mentioned before. Jessica and I have been using it for at least six months now, the Daily Liturgy podcast. I think it's really terrific. It's about 10 to 14 minutes long each day except Sundays. And you'll hear an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a reading from the Psalms. And there are also a number of prayers throughout, which I find very, very helpful. And you might not get much out of it at first, but stick with it. You know, the funny thing about relationships, eh, is quantity time is what leads to quality time. I remember once Jessica was trying to explain to me that it would be good for me to be home in the evenings more since our kids were getting older. They were teenagers now and staying up later because I used to be out a lot, especially when they were young and went to bed early. And I was like, why? They don't really want to talk to me anyway. <laughs> 
And she said, ah, but they might. Some night they might. And what if you're not here? Quality time can't really be scheduled. It just comes from lots and lots of quantity time. And the same seems to be true in our relationship with God. So that's the, the first thing. And then just the second thing is, is use your life group. Those of you who have chosen to be in a life group, one of the things you guys are going to do together, hopefully, is you're going to memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture is a phenomenal way of deepening your relationship with Christ. And you can use your life group to hold you accountable in this pursuit. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of these months when you're going to be meeting as life groups and uh, hold each other accountable to the promises you've made about following uh, this Bible memorization process. All right, team. Uh, That's it for this week. I hope you have a fantastic week and we'll see you next time.